Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Welcome back to the MedTech Talent Lab. Thanks so much for being here. I am your host, Mitch Robbins. I'm the founder and managing director of the Anthony Michael Group, where we help organizations across the medical device, digital health, and diagnostic space to build best-in-class technical teams, areas like regulatory affairs, quality, uh, engineering, et cetera. Uh, excited for all our episodes, but really in particular this one today, I've uh, chased this gentleman down for quite some time to have him as a guest, and I'm so glad and grateful that he's here with us. We're talking with Mr. Ankur uh, Kashal. Is that how you say your last name, Ankur Kashal? Kashal. Kashal, thank you. Ankur is the, is the Vice President of Regulatory Affairs and Quality for an organization called a Big Health. Big Health is a company that is literally helping millions get back to good mental health through the use of digital therapeutics uh, that gives access to both cognitive and behavioral techniques at any time, night or day. In essence, it's like having world-leading experts on call. Um, as far as Anker's background, he's worked for some of the major players in the medtech industry, organizations like Abbott, Roche, Medtronic, and J&J. If you can believe it, he's worked at all of those. Um, because of that, I know that he's gained a variety of perspective and experience across IBDs, class two, class three medical devices, and of course now with big health um, in the world of uh, the digital health space. He has his bachelor's uh, in engineering as well as his master's in both biomedical engineering and regulatory affairs. So uh, grateful that he's here on the show today. Buckle up because I know he's going to share a variety of great nuggets uh, with you guys. Ankur, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I'm really hoping I can live up to that introduction. <laughs> well, uh, I, have, I have no doubt about that. And uh, I'm excited because we're really going to cover a variety of things today. I want to focus on uh, you and um, uh, yourself as a regulatory executive and kind of where you've come from. But then I also have got some specific questions as far as what life has been like for you as you've transitioned from uh, working with uh, big time major organizations to now having the opportunity to help big health, you know, build out its regulatory and quality function. But let's, uh, let's go back in time. Uh, if we can, and, and really talk about your early years. Tell us, where, where'd you grow up and, and what was your family life like? Well, uh, I grew up in, in, in northern India uh, uh, in a state called Punjab. Uh, and um, uh, family life, uh, you know, me and my brother, uh, my father's a physician, my mom's an educator. So um, very um, academically focused upbringing, uh, if I might uh, say so. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, something that sort of set us up for success. And, you know, we have our parents to thank for that. That's awesome. So are you the older or the younger of the two brothers? I'm the older one, but only by a year. So it's, you know, almost like we were twins. Yeah, that's interesting. My kids are uh, 20 months apart and I sometimes feel like that as well. So um, uh, growing up, what held you guys' interest as kids? What, what were you involved with? Oh, um, gosh, uh, anything that got us out of the house, I suppose, back, uh, you know, we, we didn't spend that much time sitting on the couch when we were growing up. So uh, it was yeah. a lot of outdoor activities, um, lots of sports. Um, 
you know, um, soccer, basketball. Awesome. For both of you guys, were you both interested primarily in the same stuff or? Yeah, we were both, we were both interested in that. Um, you know, we had our own sort of areas of specific interest, but uh, both of us were quite involved in that. Very cool. And, you know, I mentioned in the, in the brief introduction, you have your degrees in engineering, biomedical engineering. How did you decide on your major when you, when you went to school? Yeah, no, that was a very interesting uh, journey that led to that. So, um, you know, I grew up in a in a family that has a lot of physicians within it. So, um, sort of med school was almost a default, but I wasn't really up for making that commitment. Uh, and uh, so, uh, here, lo and behold, comes a brand new major in engineering at that time, biotechnology, and it was um, sort of that perfect hybrid of uh, engineering, which I did want to do, and biology, which I loved growing up as a, as, a, as a child. So it just made for a perfect marriage. And um, still remember this for my alma mater back in uh, back in India for my undergrad. Uh, we were the first class to take on this major uh, wow. that I ended up uh, graduating in. And uh, it was by sheer luck that uh, it, it happened to come around. That's so interesting. You know, I'm intrigued to know more about your story as far as how you got into regulatory and quality, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, I'm sure you could say the same that most people that you know that are in this field didn't go to college with the intention that, hey, I'm going to join the regulatory affairs profession. It usually happens by circumstance. However, your master's degree is not only biomedical engineering, but it's also got a regulatory affairs component. So share more, if you would, as far as how you took interest in, in the function and really how you got involved. Yeah, no, I think you, um, you, you have it exactly right. So uh, I, I feel like that that point of inflection at which you get exposed to this as a, as a, as an option for you career wise has been moving closer and closer to your academic life and uh, i believe uh, when i was uh, in grad school uh, uh, down in la at usc uh, i was lucky enough to be there at the time when um, usc was building out out its regulatory and quality um, sort of coursework, if you will. It wasn't necessarily offered as a standalone major at the time, but they were building out the coursework. And so um, I went to school um, in biomedical engineering, uh, fully expecting to go into research. And it just so happened that the first time uh, we, we had the option of electives coming around, I saw this elective called Regulatory Affairs 101. And I had no idea what it was. And I took a class in it and was hooked immediately. And so that's how I actually got exposed to regulatory affairs as an option and thereby ended up taking um, a minor in regulatory affairs. Uh, I, and I, I think since then, that point at which you realize this is an option for you has been moving closer and closer to your uh, decision of what you go to school for, uh, to a point where now we often see people who've been exposed to regulatory affairs and quality um, through their academic um, career, if you will, and are coming um, you know, into industry with that expectation doesn't mean uh, you cannot transition into it. This is a perfect field for you to transition into from a cross-functional uh, perspective because it is such a, um, a crossroads of all these various uh, abilities coming together. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because there are more and more programs popping up. And I think companies are realizing they got to get a little bit um, uh, further ahead in the curve as far as educating people that are in school now that this could actually be a profession they go directly into. But if you wouldn't mind sharing your perspective on this, I know a lot of executives have different differing opinions as to, you know, maybe coming from another function and getting into regulatory and developing the experience or how 
these programs are truly preparing people to come into the program from scratch. What's your take on, you know, these master's programs and, and your opinion of how it's preparing people to get into the function or not per se? Uh, uh, fair enough. I think, I think uh, a lot of the programs do a very good job of preparing um, uh, students for, for it's sort of a real world experience in, uh, in regulatory affairs. Um, I don't think uh, I would put a finger on a preferred way of coming into regulatory affairs. I think both directions work really well. Um, you get exposed to a wide array of uh, um, uh, regulatory affairs expertise when you are studying it in school. And so because they go mm-hmm. through the curriculum, if you are in cross-functional experience, you're getting exposed to a very specific section of regulatory allows you to make a transition to within that space, if you will. So if you're in med device, you can make that transition easier. Uh, both those work. And I, you know, I encourage both of them. Cool. So I mentioned, you know, you're holding an executive spot now today as the vice president of, of regulatory and quality for big health. If you look back over the course of your career, are there certain milestones, um, certain experiences or milestones where you felt that you had I guess the chops, so to speak, to take on a VP role. I have to be honest with you. I don't think it's um, it, it. It is definitely not a sudden realization, and at least in my case, it's it's um, uh, having role models within the space that you can look up to and assess what it takes to be successful uh, in a particular role, uh, and then um, very mindfully modeling your set of experiences to allow you to be put in those mm-hmm. situations. So um, one of the earliest examples I can think of, uh, and I, I think I might share with a lot of other regulatory affairs folks, is the first time you have a difficult meeting with an agency uh, and you're in charge of managing that. Uh, the experience you go through in trying to rescue a conversation is, is a classic way of knowing um, how you are sort of doing within this space, if you will. So it is a collection of experiences. I think um, being able to mentor um, other um, uh, uh, folks in regulatory affairs and quality to be able to help them through their experiences, I think that's another way to tell. Uh, But overall, it really is uh, finding yourself role models that that you can um, um, sort of learn from. Uh, yeah, because as they say, it can be lonely at the top. And so having, I think, an arsenal of mentors at every step of the way can be super helpful, uh, regardless of where you're at within your career. But one of the burning questions I have for you, because I, I mentioned, you know, you've worked for a lot of the major players. You've worked for Abbott, you've worked for J&J, Medtronic, the list goes on. Now here you are in a position where you're literally helping build infrastructure for an organization uh, in digital health, a, a field that is just exploding and only going to continue to explode. Um, But there's got to be major differences that you've noticed as far as having a background working for major organizations and now coming to a smaller company. Would you mind sharing kind of some of your experience as far as the journey that you've been taking between the two? two? It's a very good question. And I think it's it's a very interesting um, uh, thing to contemplate as well. Starting out in my career, I, I had experiences with a lot of large organizations, as you just said. Uh, I think that um, is invaluable experience because in many ways you can be in situations where um, 
you you go into a group that is just hitting it out of the park. Things are working. It's a well-oiled machine. And you get to see um, how a well-run function looks like. What do these processes look like? How do do, uh, those um, uh, coordinations with cross-functional teams look like? Um, You can also find yourself in situations where there's a certain amount of um, uh, remediation Mm -hmm. required, whether it be relationships with the agency or internal or product-wise. And you get to be a part of the team uh, that is bringing um, a a function back to life, if you will. Um, And so from a large company perspective, you get a range of situations you can find yourself in. Nonetheless, you end up learning a lot. Um, At the same time, um, you are one of an N number of people who are collectively working on a goal. And um, eventually, uh, you build up a set of experiences. I think um, coming into a smaller organization, you are asked to carry a lot more, um, well, I shouldn't say a lot more, but uh, a range of different responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, There aren't the structures that you may have come to rely on in a large organization. Um, in a smaller one. And so you have to find more um, um, uh, more interesting ways to, to get to the same yeah. end result. So I think uh, a smaller org puts you in a position to, to exercise certain muscles that you, you may not have exercised in a larger organization, unless you specifically looked for those experiences. And as you know, the one example I'll give you is uh, when I made the transition from, from, from Abbott to, to Roche, um, it was to a um, division within Arash that was essentially a build. Uh, and so I got an opportunity to, to, to do, be part of a build activity from the ground up. We're talking brand new QMS and everything. Uh, that gave me uh, invaluable experience that, that I've, I've been deploying ever since. And so I think what I would recommend is uh, not necessarily looking at uh, a comparative pros and cons between a large and a smaller org. Rather, as an individual, I would look at what experience can I get from a particular role, whether it be in a large or a small organization. So I know a lot of company, or a lot of executives um, who are running small organizations tend to look at talent um, coming from big companies as though ah, maybe they can't roll up their sleeves and handle you know so many different projects of so many different scopes at one time because they're used to being siloed which i think you just proved is not necessarily a good it's almost a misconception and you're the epitome of somebody who's made a transition and kind of had certain experiences that prepped you for the job that you have today but in large organizations how do you view that as far as somebody who you know might be coming to you from a major organization it sounds like you don't necessarily have that bias because you're you've done it yourself. But do you agree with me that maybe there, you know, there are those biases as far as large organizations siloing their folks versus smaller organizations? You having worked with more hiring managers than I would ever know, uh, you have a unique ex- uh, perspective on this. Yeah. Um, so I hope there isn't that bias up there because um, I don't think it's accurate, um, especially if you look at the compliance space. Um, it really is about what products you've worked on, what situations you found yourself in, and quite frankly, what situations have you had to dig yourself out of mm-hmm. from a compliance perspective that that shows me um, what kind of energy and 
talent you're bringing to the role. So um, whether it's a large or a small org doesn't really factor into the uh, conversation as much um, because it's, it's sort of a false flag. Nice. I, yeah, I appreciate the perspective. And trust me, there is that, unfortunately, there is that bias, which is why I'm continuing to push you on it, because I feel like uh, you're the epitome of, of, you know, why it's a misconception. Um, because you've had the ex- opportunity to be part of many different organizations, see many different cultures, I really want to get your opinion on this idea of culture. Number one, how do you define culture, you personally? And, and number two, What's your thoughts on, on building culture inside of your own regulatory affairs organization or quality for that matter? That's a, that's a good question. I haven't really thought of it in those terms. How do I, def, what do I, how do I define culture? Yeah. Um, in my personal experience, culture is um, how you feel about um, your workplace beyond the, the processes that are written down on paper. Um, so that so the unwritten stuff that is happening is to me culture. Um, and so that can take lots of forms, right? Uh, to me, uh, the way I like to think of culture is um, how my team feels about that unwritten aspect of the, uh, of the role. Um, you know, you can write down desired qualifications and minimum requirements and job responsibilities, but the how of uh, the, the work, not just the, 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 what it is to me culture. Uh, so specifically for us, um, you know, I, I have a strong belief in keeping things simple. Uh, and so to me, culture is, uh, basically, um, sort of, you know, a couple of things that I like to ensure we have in our workplace. And, and the first one is the, uh, the safety to experiment. Mm. A lot of times, especially in compliance, you uh, you can find yourself trying to pigeonhole into some very safe lanes that get you good return on your investment and uh, keep you away from lots of risk, but also is perhaps not the most optimized. Uh, I strongly believe regulatory affairs should be a strategic asset, not just a uh, some a gatekeeper, uh, if you will. Yep. So, uh, do uh, do people feel safe? to push the boundaries, to find new, better ways to get things done? Uh, have you created an environment where they feel like they have a safety net that they can propose, say, a, an aggressive strategy and you will be there to um, help them around the edges but not necessarily tell them what to do? So mm-hmm. do, that's safety and experimentation. Uh, and what goes hand in hand with that is crucial conversations. Because while there should be safety in, in experimentation, there should also be an openness to discuss successes and failures uh, in, a, in a very frank manner. And so those are the two sides of the coin where you, are, you feel safe to experiment, but at the same time, you know you're going to get good feedback uh, on whatever you do, whether it's a, it's a huge success or an opportunity to learn. I love what you said as far as the two things. One, safe to experiment. If we all... <laughs> If it, it may be cliche, but a lot of times I hear regulatory folks speaking in uh, terms of there's black and white and then there's operating within the gray. And our job, you know, is how much can we operate within the gray? Because that's where um, creativity happens and strategies that may have never been thought of happen. Right. And I think yep. <clears throat> historically, you know, back me up if, if you think I'm onto something or tell me if, if you've never heard it this way. But. I think historically, a lot of organizations looked at regulatory as the redheaded stepchild of, of, 
of the organization. It was almost a must-have. Like, uh, you know, yes, we got to involve regulatory because that's just part of the process, but they involved regulatory late in, in product development. Today, over the last couple of years, I think executives of, of organizations are seeing the value way more as far as the importance of regulatory and how having a very um, a sound regulatory strategy up front and involving them early on leads to way less obstacles on the back end, way more success, expedited uh, time to market. And I think this mm-hmm. is catching on, which is also now why you are also seeing huge demand for regulatory. It's not just the growth of the industry, but also just how valuable uh, folks are. And so I, I couldn't agree with you more when you say that you look at regulatory as a strategic asset. What's your thoughts as far as how I've shared that? Thankfully, the thought process around that has come a long way. Uh, and, you know, it's, you'd be hard-pressed to find a successful organization that still um, uh, thinks of regulatory as a sort of a, um, a, a weight, if you will, mm-hmm. that is slowing down development. Now, um, I'd like to think of this as something as simple as, well, do you have to... If you, you make an app, you have to get it on the app store. Everybody has to do that. That's the way to distribute it. Mm-hmm. So ignoring what it takes for you to get to the app store quicker is perhaps not the best thing to do for your development right. process because eventually it'll slow it down. Right. Um, regulatory affairs is a very similar thing. It's something we have to adjust to. And so why not think about it as early as possible? Think of this as part of your product development process and not something that is tacked on top. Uh, even truer for quality, by the way, because quality shows its value beyond just compliance. It shows its value in actually making the best product you can. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think uh, um, C-suite thinking around that has come a long way. Yeah, awesome. Um, you've had the opportunity to hold a variety of management positions over the years, leadership positions for that for that matter. How do you, how do you spot top performance, top performers and contrast them with your average performers? And this could be, you know, your vantage point can be from regulatory or quality or both, but I, I'm curious to know kind of how you look at talent. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, first of all, uh, you know, a note for just how we conduct the talent finding process, if you will. Um, I think everybody involved in that process has to, um, admit that, you know, we're always looking to perfect how we find good talent. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, uh, I think uh, there's always room to improve in how to find the right talent, the right fit for your role. Um, and, and, you know, we always have great strides to make in that direction. Uh, for me personally, what I'm hoping to see is, uh, and I think we've spoken about this a little bit, is uh, are you looking at regulatory and quality with blinders on? Um, this is the process I must follow it. Or are you thinking about this in a more holistic manner? Mm-hmm. Um, regulatory affairs and quality uh, really is an intersection for all, so many cross-functional capabilities that um, what I hope to see um, and what I encourage within my teams is how much are you understanding uh, the job of the people you work with on the cross-functional team? How well do you understand what engineering does, what product does, what um, you know, user happiness does? Because in regulatory affairs, at the end of the day, we are part um, lawyers for our product because we have to go defend it from a very technical perspective in front of an agency. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be 
uh, as expert as we can, as knowledgeable as we can about those cross-functional um, um, subject matter expertise. Uh, and we're part marketers. We have to sell our ideas to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And even more than that, we have to um, read our customer, uh, our audience, to be able to foresee the questions they might have and address them well in advance, exactly what somebody who's in sales and marketing is thinking mm -hmm. about. So it's bringing such cross-functional expertise to a role that you don't immediately jump to. Uh, I'm, what I'm looking for is, can you think beyond what's written down in front of you as part of the regulation? I love that. I, I love that. And I got to tell you, I've interviewed a lot of leaders over the last few years in regulatory and quality. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody put it that way the holistic approach as far as, okay, it's one thing to know your craft, right? And be a technician um, uh, of your own trade. It's another thing to understand the puzzle pieces. How does this, how does this affect these cross-functional partners, but also what, what are they dealing with and how do all the pieces come together? I think that's awesome. So I might push you a little bit more and ask you, you know, with your own teams, either today or in the past, how have you judged that piece? How have I judged that? As far as their level of acumen and understanding of the cross-functional actual, you know, team. I think the beauty of the, uh, the, the jobs we do is that you see it every day. You see it in the way, mm. uh, you know, look, um, I'll be the first one to tell you, um, you, it is not easy to be connected to everything that's going on, even in a small organization, right? And so oftentimes I'm relying on uh, folks in my team to, to explain to me how things work. And so I often find myself asking my, my, my quality managers or, or regulatory managers some very specific questions that are not particularly directly related to regulatory affairs because I need to learn. And, um, you know, yeah. so you have, to, you have to have that knowledge and also the understanding when you don't know something and need to go find out uh, because it's shown on a day-to-day -day basis. That's why you don't wait until the end to write your submission, right? You start writing it. The time you start yeah. writing user needs, you have enough information to begin writing your story. I want to give you the opportunity to use this as, as a platform, so to speak, to give credit where credit's due. You mentioned earlier on that it's the importance of having a mentor and how much you've been able to leverage mentorship um, you know, to continue to develop yourself. Are there uh, certain people that you'd like to call out that you think have had a tremendous impact on, on helping you get to where you are today? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you are you are so correct in that that is where this begins. Uh, and so uh, first and foremost, I want to call out uh, uh, Dr. Richmond down at USC, um, leading the regulatory and sort of quality programs. Um, she's sort of, you know, the one who started all of this. Um, hers is the first class I took. And I still remember this because uh, it sticks in my head. I remember at the end of that class, walking up to the, the front of the, uh, the classroom, going up to her desk and asking her a very simple question. Uh, what is the difference between regulatory and quality? That's awesome. That's sort of where I started uh, in compliance. And I remember her answer so clearly that I still use that answer in explaining things to executives today. That's how good that answer was uh, and how simple that answer was. And so, um, and absolutely. And she has been responsible along with her team, of course, for creating so many regulatory professionals that are wildly successful uh, in, in their in their craft now, that you know a lot of us are thankful to her for starting that. Uh, and then uh, in industry, I think uh, uh, um, um, Mark Gordon, who uh, was our, our VP while I was at Abbott, 
and is now at Alcon, uh, has been a, a, a mentor, a friend, a, a coach um, for me. Um, since I've known him, uh, you know, a, a lot of executive leadership presence uh, that I, I learned from him. So I'm very thankful for, for his continued guidance in my life. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, so I, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably sitting here in, um, in awe thinking, man, I really want to get to that top spot. This guy's had a heck of a career and he's continuing on. And now he's in this, you know, sexy digital health space. If you, if you take a look back, is there a specific career or life advice that you would share with people who are, you know, they're go-getters right now and they're trying to get to where you already are? Well, I mean, first of all, um, thank you again for, for saying those nice things. I'm, um, I've been extremely um, thankful for all the help I've gotten along the way. Uh, and so uh, with, with that front and center, um, I, I think the, a couple of things come to my mind when I, when I think about why, you know, I like going to work every day. It's because I, you know, first of all, I think you have to love your job, love, love what you do, not necessarily your job, because that is the employer you are at and, and, and the manager you have. So put that aside for a second. Do you actually like regulatory affairs and call? Do you like the actual work? If you, if you love your job, if you love your craft, you will be good at it. Um, that's the easy way to have success, just like what you do. Uh, and so I think, you know, you, sh- you need to continuously ask yourself that question. Um, in a more sort of specific sense, uh, the one thing that has helped me in the past is actually trying to um, elucidate trends in the industry uh, and then finding yourself experiences within it. Um, a specific example is uh, when I when I changed my roles from, from Medtronic to Abbott, uh, among other things, I've wanted software experience because back when I made that transition, software was becoming this new big thing that was making its way into more and more medical devices. And I realized I didn't have direct experience in it. So I went and looked for it and, and found it. Um, similarly with the, the role at Roche, where I was very focused on next-gen sequencing, because I saw that becoming a huge part of personalized medicine, which is one of the biggest drivers for, for, for medicine for the next uh, decade uh, or so. Um, so Specifically, go look for trends, find those pieces within your, within your experience set, um, and go look for them. Um, that's, where, that's where I start when I look for a new role. Is this an experience I need to be able to grow further? I love what you said as far as the trends and being proactive as far as understanding, okay, what roles can help me gain experience that I might not have, but I know is important, especially with where the trends are going. And I think so many people, and no fault of their own, it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, heads down, I've got my products to do, I've got my family to take care of, or my extracurricular things that I you know, try to do to get my mind off of work. It becomes very easy to to not be proactive and not think like this. And so I think it's a good reminder that, hey, if you want to continue to have forward progression, you got to be proactive. And to tie back into, there's certainly people out there willing to help you. You know, mentors are available. You just have to seek them out. If today you don't feel like you have, you know, somebody in your corner that can help continue to push you, okay, it's time to take responsibility and, and be proactive and seek these people out because they're definitely available. And, and, uh, uh, demonstrated by, you know, the folks that you just called out that have helped you in your own career. And the fact that you're doing this now, I guarantee you're doing it now for, for others. So, um, I applaud all the accolades that you have today and the experiences you've gained. 
I want to wrap up by asking you, what's going on in big health these days? What are you excited about? Um, and, uh, you know, maybe some things that are, are in the works that you're obviously comfortable sharing. Um, no, thanks for asking. I think um, uh, working at Big Health has been a, a, a singular experience for me because of all the, uh, the, the fantastic people that I work with. Uh, and I often tell this to folks um, that uh, I, have, I have yet to, to find uh, a better combination of expertise and um, just plain amazing people to work with on a day-to-day basis that we have here at Big Health. It's really a, a special situation we find ourselves in. And I think from an industry perspective, look, uh, you said it in the beginning, uh, digital therapeutics, um, while still fairly nascent, um, is, it has a significant promise for the future. Uh, um, the, you know, the overall risk-benefit profiles um, you know the, the the safety profiles that we have within our products, and their and then the benefits we deliver, uh, especially in mental health, is significant. Big health, in my opinion, is going to be um, defining um, what digital therapeutics for mental health looks like in 2021 and beyond. In 2020, we we uh, more than doubled our covered lives. Um, we have greater than 40 percent utilization, uh, which is significant for digital products, uh, which are usually in the mid-single-digit mid numbers. Yeah, it's amazing. Perspective. Uh, you know, we've added um, some fantastic industry leaders to our team recently. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited about Big Health, uh, really defining um, how uh, um, realizing the poten- real potential for uh, digital therapeutics and mental health. Uh, and you're going to see great things from us in 2021 and, you know, uh, beyond as well. Well, I told you off offline, I said, if, if the organization is anything like what's portrayed on the website and how genuine it comes across as far as what's going on from a culture standpoint and a team standpoint and the caliber of talent that it seems to, uh, that Big Health seems to have on this team, you guys are definitely going places. So for those interested in learning more, you know, I'd recommend that they go to bighealth.com and check it out. Um, I can appreciate and imagine that you would obviously want to hear from folks who are interested in potentially join your team, even not necessarily now, but even in the future. So um, whatever we need to include in the show notes, as far as how to, how to reach out, we definitely will. But uh, you know, thank you so much for being here. I feel like you shared a lot of great nuggets and uh, I really appreciate the time that you invested. Uh, Again, uh, I appreciate the time you're taking. Uh, I think um, uh, it's a very helpful resource. Uh, I'm happy to be a part of it. So thanks for the kind words. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.